I want to talk to you today about seven ways to hear the voice of God. Seven ways to hear the voice of God. Often I have said, and I hope you can memorize this, walking in the Spirit. What is it to walk in, walk in the Spirit? Walking in the Spirit is continually obeying the impulses of the Spirit in the power of the Spirit, which yields the fruit of the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is continually obeying the impulses of the Spirit. Can, can you say that with me? Walking in the Spirit is continually obeying the impulses of the Spirit. Try it again. Walking in the Spirit is continually obeying the impulses of the Spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit, which yields the fruit of the Spirit. Work on that a little bit. Write it down. Think about it. I'm not going to stop talking about this because it's the path of profound life for you. But for you to walk in the Spirit, and you have to recognize the impulses of the Spirit. You have to recognize when God is telling you to do something, you have to know how God speaks. You have to be able to recognize His voice. And I want to talk about that today, but before I do, I just want to talk a little bit about, are you really eager to hear God? Do you really want to hear from God? My son Kyle wanted to be a fly fisherman, and I didn't know anything about it. I could tell two things about it. There was a big learning curve, and it was going to cost a lot of money. Uh, I said to Kyle, I said, well, I'm sure there's a simple way you can get into fly fishing with basic equipment, but you really need somebody to teach you. I was out calling one day, and I noticed that a guy in our church, he had a, he had a, a head of everything that he killed dead on his wall. Like, that was a weird way of saying that, wasn't it? He had a bunch of trophies on his walls. He had killed a lot of things. And I said to him, I said, do you know, uh, do, you, do you know anything about fly fishing? He said, a little bit. But if you really want to know about fly fishing, you want to talk to Wes Cooper. He's a retired school teacher, and he's a Christian, and he lives on the other side of town. His son pastors in Howard City. You should get to know Wes Cooper. I said, hmm. So I went home to my son, Kyle, and I said, Kyle, get a notebook and a pen. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, get you a meeting with a guy, and, and, then, and he knows a lot about fly fishing, and when he says something, I want you to just take out your pen and write it in your notebook. And this fellow was a retired teacher, so I know how teachers are. They're eager to teach. And they're eager, if you have a, an eager, willing student that's ready to listen, they will open up the treasures of their heart, and they will tell them everything that they know. And I was there when we went to Wes Cooper's house. A white-haired, elderly, brilliant, bamboo fly rod maker, really knew his fly fishing. And Kyle asked him a question, and when he started to talk, Kyle opened his little book and started writing things down. And you could just see the guy rise up to that and just teach him things. He gave him a, a vice to tie flies. He gave him a fly rod to use. He took him to his favorite fishing holes, which you don't do unless you really like somebody. He was eager to hear, and so Wes was eager to teach him. Are you eager to hear? My brother-in-law, Bob Dunbar, I've told you his story many times. He passed away a few years ago, went to be with the Lord. But when I first met him, we were both very young men, and I didn't think he knew the Lord. And I wanted to give him the gospel, so we golfed together. And after we were golfing, we were riding in his pickup truck together. And I was exploring whether he'd be willing to listen to a gospel conversation. 
And I, I said something like this, Bobby, I like you. I like spending time with you. There's something that's really, really important to me I'd like to talk to you about someday. And I'll never forget this. Bobby immediately said, well, if it's important to you, I'd like to hear about it right now. I was so shocked because I was expecting I would have to have a long relationship with him. And he's just, he was so eager to hear. I'll never forget. We stood there. We're moving. We, after we golfed, we moved to couch. And then we were standing there in the open door of the garage. And he just peppered me with questions about God and Jesus and the Bible and the gospel. And Bobby just grew so fast and became such a great spiritual leader. And there were a thousand people at his funeral and everyone mentioned how, how, what an impact he had on their life. Bobby was who Bobby was partly because he was so eager to hear. He was really, really a good listener. Are you a good listener when it comes to God? That's a good question, isn't it? What was the first lesson that old Eli taught to little Samuel? You remember the Bible story? Little Samuel comes, Hannah's baby boy, comes to live with Eli. He hears talking in the night. He goes to Eli, what do you want? Eli says, after a while, Eli says, go back and say this. What did he say? Say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And if you didn't get anything else from my message today, it would be good if you would just go home somewhere quiet, in your bedroom, out in the woods, in your car, in your pickup truck, by the margin of the lake, get up early in the morning, stay up late at night, and say, speak, Lord. I want you to know if you have something to say. I want to know what it is. Speak to me, Lord. Are you hungry? to hear the voice of God? That's a good question, isn't it? Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 was impactful in my dad's life when he was young. You shall seek me and find me when you have searched for me with all your heart. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11, the writer of Hebrews says, I have many things to say, but they're hard to be uttered because you are dull of hearing did you ever want to tell somebody something really important and they just didn't want to listen? Or you're talking and their attention went to their phone or to something else and you're just like, okay, well, they're not listening. In Matthew 13, in verse 15, the Lord says, the hearts of this people have grown dull and their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn so that I would heal them. Jesus is saying, I would heal them if they would pay attention to me. What if God who loves you, God who likes you, God who adores you, God who knows the future, knows the past, knows everything about you and loves you still, what if he had something to say to you right now? What if he had something that your life depended on? Wouldn't you want to hear him? In Mark 4, we have the parable of the sower. We're not going to study the whole parable. It was so beautifully read today. But I do want to point out something interesting about it. You know, when you study a passage of Scripture, one of the things you always want to do is you want to compare things. Is there contrast here? Is there comparison? Here? Is, is anything repeated here? One of the things that's repeated over and over again is references to hearing. Jesus is like, I have something to tell you. Are you willing to listen to me? If you, if you go to Mark 4 and you listen, Mark 4, 9, he who has ears to hear, 
let him hear. Do you have ears to hear? Uh, Mark 4, 12. They, they indeed, they may see but not perceive and hear and not understand. You ever talk to somebody and you go, you're not listening to me. And they go, yeah, I heard everything you said. And they repeat it. But they're not still, they're not really listening. Like you didn't, you didn't get it. Like missing the point. I heard a joke that wasn't funny today. So I'll share it with you. Uh, not today, this week. Uh, guy says, I was in the bank and there was a big long line and there was only one window open. And I was just waiting. And finally I got to the front of the line. There was only one lady in front of me and she had a heart attack. But he said, it's okay though. They opened another window. You kind of missed the point. Do you ever, you ever have somebody say, yeah, I heard everything you said, and they'll repeat it back to you, but you go, yeah, but you, you really weren't listening with your heart. You didn't get it. What if God had something for you, and you were just too busy to listen to God? You didn't get it. That would not be good. Listen to Mark 4, 15. These are the ones along the path where the word was sown. When they hear, Satan comes and snatches it away. Verse 16, they hear the word. Verse 18, who hear the word. Verse 20, who hear the word. Over and over again, all of them, the words fell on their ears. But then in verse 23, he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He repeats it in the parable of the mustard seed in Mark 4, 33. As they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. It's an interesting pattern of teaching that Jesus sometimes used that I've never had the courage to use. Almost always, if I tell a story, I'm trying to help you understand something. I'm trying to make things clear to you. Jesus sometimes used stories to obscure truth from people who hadn't shown that they deserved to hear it yet or hadn't shown enough interest. So he would, he would cultivate curiosity or he would speak in such a way that only those who he would call that those who have ears to hear. So he'd say something in a parable or he'd tell a story that had a significant meaning to it. And then he would go privately and those who had ears to hear, his disciples would come and say, what did you mean by that? What did you mean by that? That's the parable of the sower. So realize that one of God's names is word. So he's about communicating. And I want to talk to you here about, let me give you these seven things ways that you can recognize when God is speaking. We can tell God's, number one is, you should know this, is read your Bible. Read your Bible. God's, the Bible is God's word. So his speaking never gets more direct than when you read the Bible. Those of us who believe that God gives impressions or speaks outside of scripture who are responsible Believe that whatever you think God says never rises to the level of Scripture or contradicts Scripture. It's usually, it's usually God, when God speaks, he's, when, when you read, God is speaking. If you want God to speak, open, open your Bible and, and God is speaking. But, but number one, I would put it this way, read the Bible for personal application. Because I know what we're talking about here. We were talk, we're talking here about how do I know when God is speaking to me? How, how do I know when God has something for me to know or something for me to do? And I would say, open your Bible and read, but read for personal application. Here's how I do it. 
I take my burdens to my Bible reading. I take my questions to my Bible reading. I take my fears to my Bible reading. I take my shame and my guilt to my Bible reading. And God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, then emphasizes certain things from my Bible reading. Then God speaks to me in a very powerful way. He is continually speaking everywhere. In Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2, and then Psalm 19 is a beautiful passage to study about the Word of God. It says so many beautiful things about the Word of God, Psalm 19. But in the beginning, it says God is always speaking, and there is no place where God is not always speaking. So God is eager to communicate. I heard a, I heard a man say this, stop waiting for a voice and start looking for a verse. He said, stop waiting for a voice Start looking for a verse. Sometimes people say, I want to hear the voice of God. And it really doesn't mean they want to hear God because if they really wanted to hear God, they would open their Bibles, they would read, and they would do what they read. But, but they want something special or something unique or maybe they want confirmation of the decisions that they already made. Sometimes as a pastor, people come to me and you think they're asking for counsel, but if you listen, you can tell they're not really asking for counsel. They want you to kind of give a rubber stamp of approval on what they already decided to do, which sometimes is contrary to what the Bible says. And they want a pastor to say, you're okay. That's not really listening. Sometimes we come to God like that. And we say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about it? What we really want is him to endorse our will. We don't want to do his will. We want him to endorse our will. We want his help on our plans. We don't want to do what he said. Stop waiting for a voice in that case. Start looking for a verse. The scriptures say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I believe that Jesus has a custom-made word for you and I every day. We get that by remembering the Bible or by reading the Bible. And that, that in order to, so, so life comes from the word of God. And the way that works is there is a truth for you. So, um, for instance, um, you might be trying out for the basketball team. And you get up and you're all nervous about trying out for the basketball team. And all you're thinking about is the basketball team. because That's all on your mind. And then you're reading the scriptures that morning and something comes from that, you know, the cares of, like we read today, the, care, the, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires of other things comes in and it chokes out the word and it becomes unfruitful. And it occurs to you that basketball shouldn't have maybe such a high place to you. This is the sense that you get while you're reading that Bible verse or I was reading, a, actually remembering a Bible verse one day when I was feeling guilty about something. I needed a prayer answered real badly. There was just something that needed to happen. And I was, you know how that is when that happens and it's hanging over your head and it's going to hang over your head for a while. And I just prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. But every time I prayed, I was also had this kind of guilty feeling like, I don't deserve for God to answer that prayer for me. He knows my failures. He knows my weaknesses. He knows that I'm not as faithful as I should have been. And in particular, he knows I wasn't as good with my money as I could have been. And therefore, now I'm asking for this help from the Lord. But whenever I prayed that, whenever I was praying and I was thinking that, a passage came to my mind from Psalm 103 as the Lord pities, as, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He remembers our frame, he knows our frame, and he remembers that we're dust. And I, as every time I thought that, I'm not worthy, I don't deserve to be bailed out in this one. God doesn't have to do this for me. That Bible verse came to my mind, like God was saying, I know that you are imperfect, but I am still, you're still my son, you're still my child, I still love you like a father 
pities his children. And the word there that I had memorized years ago just kept coming back to my heart and coming back to my heart. And when the answer came, it was the most amazing answer. I'm too embarrassed to tell you the answer right now. It was such an amazing answer to prayer. That there was this financial need that I had. And you'll have to buy me coffee to get me to tell you the rest of that story. But it was amazing that God would do that for me. And, and to this day, I often think, God, I didn't deserve that. I didn't earn it. You didn't owe that to me. You just had pity on me. When you read your Bible every day, read your Bible for personal application, for personal wisdom, for personal truth. So Jesus has a word for you that will bring you life. And that will usually be reminding you of the Bible or it'll be a passage that you're reading. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's how life comes. Now think about this. I've said this before, but it would be easy to forget. If that's true, wouldn't Satan, he wants to kill you. Jesus wants to give you life. Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to mess you up. He doesn't want you to follow God. He doesn't want you to love God. He doesn't want you to know God. He doesn't want you to experience how wonderful God is. So he's going to lie to you. Jesus is going to tell you the truth, and that's going to bring life. Satan is going to lie to you, and that's going to bring death. And if Jesus has a custom-made truth for you every day that will bring you life today, why wouldn't Satan or his demons have, or the world or the flesh or the devil drop a lie into your mind regularly so that he can kill you? So this is what I believe is happening. Our culture is, I hate to be uh, ugly about it, full of lies all the time. We tell ourselves lies. Demons, Satan himself, can lie to us, can deceive us. How do we know what's true? By reading the Bible. Because it's a life-giving word. It's a secret of life and death. We study the Bible. We, have, we um, speak as the oracles of God. We think in biblical terms. We think God's thoughts after him so that we, we experience life. If you're a young person, young people, and children, please, that are here in the room, please hear what I'm saying. This is a great secret of life. Study the Bible. You know what they used to say all the time when you didn't know what you're going to do vocationally? A lot of times people would say, that was kind of a popular thing to do. Well, go to Bible college for a year and figure out what God has for you. Well, it's not altogether a bad idea because Bible college is Bible college and you study the Bible. That's, uh, there's probably other ways of approaching what you're going to do in terms of a vocation, but it's not a bad idea to study the Bible. Our daughter, Hope, wasn't sure what she would do in her future, but she found a one-year Bible Institute program in Oregon, and she went and studied the Bible for a year. Well, you're never going to get hurt by studying the Bible. I would say people that I know and love and that are most impactful and helpful to me are people who, when they open their mouth, Bible stuff comes out. I have a friend, and we go walking together every once in a while. And one of the things I love about this guy, well, he loves me. He's my friend. He's been my friend for years. We go walking, and one of the things I just love about him is you can't say something to him that he doesn't answer with biblical truth. He loves the Word. Last time we were together, we are sitting in Ellis Sharp Park on a park bench, and he showed me something in the Bible that I had never seen before. Now, I've read the Bible over and over again. I've taught the Bible for 40 years, over 40 years. But he showed me this passage, and I was like, wow, that's so rich. It just hit me right at the right time. This is how God speaks. He speaks through his word. He's eager to warn you about things that you're going to get in trouble over. He's eager to encourage you when you're discouraged. He's eager to give you courage when you're afraid. He's eager to warn you. 
He's eager to comfort you. He's eager to instruct you. But he won't talk with you if you won't, if you don't have the good sense to listen to him. And so sit down and listen. Stop and listen. And then, okay, that was the number one. The others are going to go faster, honest. Number two, listen to your heart to remind you of his word. Now, sometimes people will say, well, the heart is deceitful above all. Well, yeah, that's true. It's not a reference to a spirit-filled believer, though. If you're filled, controlled by the Holy Spirit, then you can count on God giving you good impulses. Like, okay, young mothers, can I talk with you for a minute? You're a young mom, you have little people, and that's amazingly hard. I, I watch it and think, how in the world did Lois do that? You know, how do you stay up with the little ones like that and all the needs that they have? And is it easy to be frustrated or is it easy maybe to express frustration or, or maybe to express anger? Uh, and then the, you put them to bed at night and they go to sleep and you go in the other room and then you feel guilty. Or you put them on the school bus and they go away and you think, I'm going to try harder tomorrow and I'm going to be patient and I'm going to be loving. Well, you know, God in his spirit, in your heart, sometimes that's God speaking to you. He's convicting you. He's sweetly and lovingly convicting you. This is how God works. The Holy Spirit brings to mind the things that you know from the Bible. That's what the Bible says. Take your Bible and look in John chapter 10. I want you to see this. People who know God hear God's voice through the Spirit reminding them of the Bible in their spirit. And This is John 10 and, and 3 through 5. Uh, to him, the gatekeeper opens. The, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. When he has brought us all out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him. They do not know the voice of strangers. And look at verse 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. The scriptures teach in John 14, 26, Philip's version says this, the Holy Spirit will be your teacher and bring to your minds all that I've said to you. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. One of the things he's going to do, how does the Holy Spirit work? He reminds you of Bible verses at the right time, at the right place. How does God speak? Through the Word, directly. How does God speak? Through the Holy Spirit reminding you of the Word with split-second timing, depending on what you're going through. This is something you want to develop ears for. You want to, you know, you, you can even be a, a young person, a kid. You can do this. You don't have to be brilliant. You just have to be spiritually sensitive. Say something like this, God, I'm listening to you. And then get a bunch of Awana verses in your heart. Get a bunch of Bible verses in your heart. Search the scriptures. Repeat the scriptures. Memorize the scriptures. Meditate on the scriptures. Give the Holy Spirit lots of stuff to work with. Because that's the way the Holy Spirit works. He reminds you of the scriptures as in a specific time. Hearing God's voice then isn't reserved for pastors or superstars or as much as we admire and love missionaries. It's, you know, we read missionary biographies and, and we just think, look at these people. They're amazing. They went to the ends of the earth. They did these amazing things. Yes, they did. And I used to read missionary biographies and biographies of great Christians as a boy. And I used to just, my hands would tremble, my heart would be so stirred. I'd think, my goodness, these are godly people. 
These are wonderful people. These are superstars. These are the best of the best. Now I'm old, and I have walked with the Lord for a lot of years, and I'm not even close to a superstar or star of any kind. Just me. Just me stumbling forward, picking myself up again. Ken, I will tell you that God doesn't only speak to missionaries and seminary professors and super pastors and megachurch pastors. And stuff. He talks to the common man, to the little child, to a woman who, whose heart is knit to God, who loves God and wants to hear from God. If you want to hear from God, God will speak to you. And he will speak through his word and he will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will remind you of scriptures that that are for you at a particular time. Here's a third thing, and, and godly older people will always tell you this. They have different ways of saying it, but number three, pay attention to nature and history and circumstances. In other words, pay attention to the, the God, how God sovereignly, providentially arranges circumstances. Here's a short, that's, by the way, these notes are online for what it's worth, but here's a short way of saying that. Pay attention to nature and history and circumstances. Pay attention to the providence of God. Because sometimes when you have passage of Scripture, nothing rises to the level of Scripture, you have the truth of Scripture, and then you have circumstances that arrange themselves for you to step through, like we would call that, the Scripture sometimes call that an open door. And Paul said, the door was closed to me. A door was open to me. Sometimes a door will open. An opportunity will come. A circumstance will avail itself. And, and you will step through that in obedience to the Lord. God often arranges circumstances to confirm which scripturally sound direction you should take. Romans 1 and verse 20 says that people are without excuse because nature itself and, the, and the, the, the scriptures in Providence talk about patterns of human history, uh, the beauty and the grandeur of nature itself, circumstances as they unfold, grab our attention, and God uses these things. We, we have an example in my life. I, we had a lease on a house. It was a five-year lease. It was a very beautiful deal from a Christian man. And, and we got this five-year lease. It was $400 a month. It was a country house. It was free gas. It was an amazing deal. And I just felt like it was such an answer to the prayer. And I said, my goodness, Lord, so the Lord's let us move in the country, lease this house for $400 a month, and it's free gas. I know for the next five years, I feel this security that I have someplace for the next five years. But the owner tragically died. He, his tractor rolled over on him. His widow called and said, would you please release me from the lease? And I didn't hesitate to answer because I knew what God would want me to do. And that was a widow. And they've been very kind to us. I said, absolutely, we'll move. But I had no place to go. A friend came and said, well, there's a house that's for sale over here. And my friend says, you can live in that house till it sells. And I moved my whole family over to that house. And Lois was pregnant with Wesley then. It was in 1994. So now we're living in this home, hoping it won't sell. And uh, not really, but kind of. Uh, knowing that when it sold, we were going to be homeless again. And the owner, whose name was Mark, called me one day and he said, the house sold. And Wesley was just about to be born right then. And I thought, oh my goodness. My dad actually came to me and kind of cautioned me about I needed to be really responsible. My mother-in-law had a little talk with me too about being responsible and and it was a very dark time for me, honestly. And I, I was so embarrassed about my circumstances that we, we needed to move from that house. And I made an appeal to the fella. 
And he says to me, if there's any place you can go, and I, I said, Mark, I promise I'll keep my word. I said I'd move within 30 days, and I will move within 30 days. But, but I'd like to ask you if I could appeal. Uh, my wife is pregnant. Our, our child's about to be born, and I wonder if we could stay with the first of the year. And he said, Ken, if you have any place to go, I want you to go. So I thought, well, I don't have any place to go. You know, but th- about that day, I had some Amish friends that I would drive for. And they said, well, there's a little place up by Wahanda you can live. And I'm like, I wish you hadn't told me that because now I have a place to go. And there was like this little greenhouse with a broken floor. It's in a beautiful place, but it was really, a, you know, a rough house. And they said, you can, live, you can move into there and you can live until you get your place. So I had a place to go and I had to keep my word and I moved. And here we were. Wesley's born a few days before we have to move. I don't even want to ask anybody to help me move because I'm so embarrassed about my circumstances. I don't have any money to speak of. I got one car. I get up one Saturday, Sunday morning. I'm out in the country. My tire is flat. It's Sunday morning. I got to change a tire in the snow, get to church, put on a sunny face, preach. I was just so, so discouraged. At that time, Lois had some medical complications, and we were afraid little Wesley would, and, and it was just a really hard time for us. I thought, God, I love you, but what are you doing to me? And we had to move my stuff into the garage. I could go on and on. Do you doubt this? We had to move my stuff, my books into a garage. And my brother, Nathan, and who's the only guy that I would allow to be with me right then, helped me move all my books into a garage. And then we made the last load. And it was such a big load that just the two of us were, load, were bringing this load of stuff out to put in the garage. And it was raining really hard. And when we opened the garage door, I could see the water pouring in on top of my books. And I love my books. The water was just pouring on top of my books. And my brother-in-law I put a tarp over my books. And I remember he put my arm, his arm around me. And we were standing in the back of the truck. And he goes, Ken, we're going to laugh about this someday. I go, yeah, no, we will. But it was such a hard time that we decided, well, I would come up here to Michigan. And I would preach. I would visit my brother-in-law. So I came up here to Michigan. And my brother-in-law said, why don't you preach for me tonight? I said, I can't preach. I feel like such a loser. He goes, oh, come on. I was noticing your goals in the back of your Bible for the new year. Why don't you just share people? It's a, it's a, it's a watch night service. Why don't you just share your goals with the people and have the kids sing? We'd like you to do that. And I did. And that night, there were two ladies there that came up to me afterward. One of them was from uh, Greenville, and the other one was from Fremont, Michigan. And they both said, we'd like you to consider being a pastor of our church. Well, they weren't officials from the church, but long story short, one of those ladies, Eloise Frankie, introduced us to the people at Fremont, and God sent us to Fremont a few years later. When we got there, they interviewed me, and they told me how much I'd make, and it was, it was as much as I made doing all my side hustle jobs and my pastorate. And then they said, and when you come back, we want you to see the parsonage. I'm like, there's a parsonage on top of what you're going to pay me? I said, yeah. And parsonages are usually humble places. Um, we came back to town, and they showed us this parsonage. And it's a three-story, it was two stories with a full finished basement of five bedrooms and a big fireplace. Just a beautiful home. And I remember that we gathered the family in, and we sat around the circle. And I said to the kids, you know how we got here, don't you? Through that greenhouse in Walhanding. God sovereignly orchestrates the details of your life even when they're really sad and you want to listen to him and keep obeying him because you don't know what's around the next turn but if you're following him eventually you're going to take a turn (laughs) it's going to be good but there are going to be times when it just seems so dark and difficult and hard so pay attention 
to nature, to history, to your circumstances. Realize this is God working in his providence. That's number three. Number four, be sensitive to your spirit, to your spiritual intuition, to your cautions, to your warnings, to your directions, to your encouragements. This is true in the Bible. You see that 2 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10, as is written, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. That's where we usually stop. But it goes on to say, these things God will reveal to us through his spirit. There is a spiritual communication. There's a spiritual communication that we can have, that we can develop, hearing the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, the Bible says. This happened in Acts 15, 28 and 29. Paul says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything um, that we're talking about, the, the Gentiles. It seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. In Acts 16, Paul says in a kind of mysterious way, his companions were prevented from going to Asia. It says we are prevented by the Holy Spirit. What did that look like? The, the, the Holy Spirit didn't show up in a physical form and physically stop him. There is a sense in which the Spirit gives us pause or warns us. As you walk with the Lord, as you talk with older Christians, and as you walk with the Lord, you'll recognize when a person is saturated with the Scriptures, eager to follow the Lord, hungry to love God and obey God, they'll have a spiritual sensitivity that comes from the Holy Spirit that will sometimes warn them not to go forward. It's silly in a way, but my, we have a narrow staircase, and I say to Lois, please don't put anything in the staircase because I need the entire staircase to get upstairs and down, especially down. But she's smaller than I am, so sometimes she puts things in the stairs. She had these cute little boots that she wears outside, and she put them in the stairs one night, and, and I was going, <laughs> going up, and I thought, doggone it, look at that. And so I took the boots just to be cute and funny, and I threw them in the middle of the room thinking how cute and funny that would be to throw her boots in the middle of the room. And then I went up and got in bed. And I laughed inside thinking I threw her boots in the middle of the room, you know, because that was a perfectly innocent thing. There wasn't anything weird about me doing that. And so the next morning we were having our men's prayer thing and I was speaking to the guys about how to walk in the spirit. And it was like a little voice said, and the boots, what was that about? And I thought, yeah, that was like kind of passive aggressive. That was actually me kind of being mean with a smile on my face. And so after breakfast, I went back and I found the boots. Lois was still in bed, it was still early morning. I found the boots and I took them upstairs and put them by her dresser where they belonged. And then I got in bed and I said, craziest thing happened today. You know, I took your boots and I threw them. And, I, and she says to me, instead of like, oh, that's okay, sweetheart. You know, thank you for listening to the voice of spirit. She's like, where are my boots right now? And I'm like, <laughs> they're by your bed. Okay, he said. I really do believe that God speaks to us like that. I, I want to belabor these things, but can, can I just tell you this one more? Lois bought me a Jeep. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell that story a lot of times. With inheritance money, she bought me my little dream car, my little Jeep. I had it for years. Drove it all over the place. Drove it on the red Jeep journey. Loved that car. So clean, so sweet car. I love that car. I thought, I'm going to drive this forever. But one summer, um, God was working in my heart a couple summers ago really strongly that I needed to show Lois special kindness. And it hit me, sell the Jeep and buy her the wood for the hardwood floors and do it with joy. And it was so clear that if I hadn't done it, I think I would have disobeyed the Lord. I would have, sent, I would have felt like I was disobeying the Lord. So with joy, I went out, I put a sign in my Jeep and the guy came and I bought it and I walked over to the front porch and I handed her the money. I said, you can put the hardwood floors in now. And she got the sweetest look on her face. She said, that's not my money, that's your money. I bought you that Jeep, it's yours. You, there's things you want to do with that. And I said, no, no, no. 
God told me to sell it and give you the money so we can put the floors in. I just believe God works that way. He wants me to be good to Lois. He wants me to be sensitive to her. He wants me to love her. He's going to give me little hints. If I'm not a fool, I'm going to listen to that stuff. He's going to tell me things. Just, he's going to do things, but then he's going to let me get in on them by telling me things just at the right time. I've got to develop a spiritual sensitivity where I read the word or listen to the urges of the spirit or things that would be consistent with the Bible. Number five, be quiet in your soul and listen. Listening well usually requires quietness. Like Elijah goes out and God speaks to him in a still small voice. Number six, God will often speak through loved ones or teachers or pastors or family members or even donkeys sometimes or even unbelievers. Every once in a while, somebody will say something to you and it'll just be like electric shock. This is, I've had occasions in my life when people that I didn't necessarily respect for other things told me something that they saw and God used that almost as if God wants us to have respect for everybody and listen to everybody. God will sometimes speak his truth that's consistent with his word through a donkey, if you will. And I'll tell you stories about that some other day. Number seven, learn to recognize God's voice by looking back on a time when you had an impression or an impulse and you missed it, or when you had an impression or an impulse and you didn't miss it. I was sitting at Grand Rapids one day and I was at a Bible conference and I had a strong impulse in my heart and I thought, well, maybe I'm just projecting this on God. It's something I want. I didn't have a seminary degree and I wanted to go to seminary. And I had the strongest impulse, like almost like God was telling me in my heart, you're going to get to go to seminary. And I was so strong that I, and I have this little booklet in my, my desk that I took my little booklet out and I wrote in, I feel like God told me tonight that I'm going to get to go to seminary. And I applied immediately at Grand Rapids and they turned me down because my undergrad wasn't accredited and they tried to steer me toward their undergrad program. I said, I'm not going to get two bachelor's degrees. I already have one. I went to Moody a few months later and they had waived the application fee for the grad school at Moody. When I was young, I left Moody. I always wish I could have gone back. I applied for the grad school. They accepted me. The church paid for it. Can you imagine how joyful and happy and thrilled I was driving to Chicago? This is the guy who all his undergrad was washing dishes all night to pay for his undergrad. And I'm driving to Chicago to go to Moody grad school. And the people, the kind people, the first Baptist at Fremont paid my way. I was the most eager student you ever saw. God told me that was going to happen. God told me that was going to happen. I was, when I was at the character inn, it was that big hotel that we, we ran, our helps run. I wanted to leave because it, it was a lot of difficult work that was kind of out of my, I was thinking, man, I just love to go pastor a church anywhere, just a little country church anywhere, just, and, but I didn't have clearance from the Lord. And Lois was, was we didn't agree about it. And I would go alone and I would pray like, Lord, why would you give me this powerful desire to be a pastor? And my wife likes what we're doing now and doesn't want to leave. And I don't want to do something that we don't agree on. And I had this little place where I would go to pray. And I was in that room just telling the Lord, Lord, you know, I love you, but what are you doing? Why would my wife not want to go be a pastor's wife again? And and here I am, I have this strong desire to be a pastor. And I went to Barrick up for a week. And I wanted to concentrate on listening to God that week. And so I did everything I knew how to do to listen to God. I got really quiet. I stayed up late. I got up early. I sat by the water. And I listened. I, I, paid, I tried to analyze my dreams. I read the Bible. That's what I did first. I read the Bible. I just, anything. God, what, how, what? And nothing. I just felt like I didn't get any 
direction from the Lord. And last night, I, was in, I went to bed, and I knelt by the bed before I got in bed, and I said, Lord, please, like, invade my dreams. Show me something from your word. Help me, because this is hard and frustrating. I need to know what you want me to do. And, and I also probably said, and tell Lois, you know, what she needs to know. I might have said that too. And, and, and then in the morning, I woke up, and I didn't have a big dream or anything. I just woke up. And I was laying there in bed, and I thought, that's it, Lord? I got nothing. And then it just hit me. God so clearly led me to that job. It was so clear. And he hadn't given me new direction yet. It was as if he said, keep doing what I last told you to do until I tell you something else. Just keep on. I had fellows tell me this one time, don't look, don't ask, what's God's will for my life? Do what you know is God's will. I said, one thing I know is God called me to run the character in. I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to tell, I took Lois out to dinner and I said, hey, I settled the thing. We're going to run this thing until God tells us otherwise. And I think he'll tell us both. And one night, a couple years later, we had a meeting and I saw myself being released. <laughs> Not released, released, but I, I saw the freedom I would have to go be a pastor again. And we left that meeting. We're walking across the campus and the moon was out. Lois looked at me and she says, I think it's time for you to be a pastor again, don't you think? I go, absolutely. And a few weeks later, I was called a pastor. Now, that's me. I'm just me. You're you. We're just regular folks. God wants to speak to all of us. Open, your, open the word. Listen. Be eager to do what he tells you. Pick out something he already said and start obeying it. Get moving. God will speak to you if you're eager to obey him. If you're eager to obey him, he's going to take you places you can't imagine. They're unimaginably good. Don, Alfie is going to come.